Greetings, friends. Welcome back for yet another episode of The Encouraging Word. I'm here with Stephen Young, our uh, Director of Youth Ministries, Rocky River United Methodist. My name is Paul Bennett, and welcome. Uh, welcome to anybody who may be hopping on, joining us for the first time. I've been recording these uh, podcasts for a couple of years now as a, a pandemic uh, creation, and we're still going strong, uh, still coming back to you on a, on a pretty consistent basis and uh, somehow still coming up with new things to talk about. So <laughs> I'm sure we'll run out eventually and, and then the end will come, but uh, we're having too much fun to, to ponder that at this point. So we're back uh, and we com- concluded a series uh, recently on uh, church history, talking about some of the different characters in church history, some of the folks' uh, contributions that were made and uh, covering both those that are most prolific and, and the first to pop up uh, on a Google search, perhaps, and then also digging deeper into the lives of those who maybe had a, an equally um, important impact but are not as well known. So we've covered the, the gamut there, and uh, we are now in the season of Lent. So Stephen and I are going to take some time today just to uh, do a, a, a one-day uh, deep dive into the season of Lent, and particularly uh, Passion Week and the events of, of Passion Week uh, involving Jesus' path to the cross and taking some time to, uh, to break down those events and, and uh, respond, each of us in turn, to some questions about those events and share some of our own thoughts and, and uh, the, the important pieces of those events as they, as they have uh, settled in uh, with us over the years. So, We'll be getting to that in a moment, but first we have our fit segment. Stephen's going to, uh, he's been revving it up here while I've been talking, our, our uh, things that are, are funny, interesting, or thought-provoking from our lives, and we're going to take a moment to uh, settle into this episode by sharing one of those. So Stephen, what do you got that's uh, funny for us this morning? <laughs> uh, I don't think I have anything funny. Um... But uh, yeah, I have something that's thought-provoking and something that's been on um, news, wall-to-wall news coverage, and that's about um, Ukraine. Um, and it's been just uh, watching the whole thing unfold. Um, and, uh, it's, and probably by the time you hear this, you might know more than what we know now. Um, but it's just been a really, really incredible thing to see just such a dramatic event happened in our lifetime um and to um, hear the stories of the ukrainian people <clears throat> as well um to hear their um it's really quite uh, inspirational to hear and to see um, the ukrainians fighting for their country and um and really um just watching as uh, also incredibly sad watching as the refugees and people leaving, leaving homes, leaving, leaving their history, leaving everything behind and, and walking into other countries with nothing. Um, it's just incredibly sad and then also inspirational to see those who are fighting for it. And, and, uh, and also in, it's been in a, in a country like ours that's so divided all the time on politics. This is one thing mm-hmm. that has finally, in a sense, brought us together Oddly enough, um, as we see people fighting for freedom and democracy, and um, I think it's um, that is one thing that has finally brought our country together over one issue. And it's um, sadly enough, it has to be conflict and war 
um, that brings us together, but um, it has brought us together. Um, so yeah, it's that's my thought-provoking thing. Yeah, it's uh, I think uh, this is what week two or so where been yeah. doing all we can do here in the U.S., which is follow via the, the news and headlines and such, and it's been pretty pretty horrific, and I, I think at least in my lifetime, um, this has been the, and from my perspective, I'm, I'm sure there are other uh, views on it out there, or folks maybe you understand more than me, but it, in my limited understanding, to me, it's, it seems like the most clear-cut uh, we, we know who the villain is. We know who uh, the the quote-unquote heroes are. And, and right and wrong, it just seems so, so clear-cut in this case. Um, and it's, you know, so often it's, it comes down to perspective and other conflicts around the world. You know, sometimes it's hard to discern uh, who's in the right and who's in the wrong. And uh, But here there's a, a clear-cut aggressor, and, and it's hard to really comprehend uh, the, the reason behind the aggression and, and to sympathize whatsoever with um, the Russians and, and Putin. And, uh, so I, I think it, as Stephen was describing, it, it does bring us together and having a shared uh, enemy, and, and so to speak, and a, and a shared um, source of, of sympathy or, or uh, object of our sympathy. And, and uh, I don't know, it's it, it maybe particularly the case because uh, it's kind of like a David v. Goliath situation where we, you know, clearly Russia is the superior military force. And, and um, you know, I think we, we were all maybe afraid that this would be quick and, and uh, terribly destructive uh, and, and Russia would just mow right over Ukraine and uh, of course, it's it's inspiring to see the grit that is uh, being shown by Ukraine. In fact, I, I had a friend that uh, passing a, a meme around via text that compared it to the uh, the Star Wars uh, movie. I'm not a Star Wars guy, but I don't even know which movie this is. This uh, Return uh, of the Jedi, maybe. Yeah, I think so. All right, with the the Ewoks on the planet Ender and. And the stormtroopers come down and, and, and they're uh, zipping around on their little vehicles and their laser guns. And the Ewoks are just trying to defend their homeland. And um, The Ewoks are like the little teddy bear. The little teddy bear like, guys, like little yeah. little teddy bear guys. Yeah, that's right. For, our, for those who don't know Star Wars lingo right. names. I had to look it up too, so don't feel bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he's a huge Star Wars fan. Closet Star Wars fan. Oh, right. Yes, <laughs> yes. I so huge I, I i didn't even know it myself so but <laughs> but uh yeah just uh, this you know this uh little guy versus big guy you know the ill-equipped uh, ukrainians and and uh they are showing that their their protection of their homeland is that important that they're willing to fight so um not a whole lot to be said that that isn't already being said other than let's let's continue to be in prayer and and um to learn from you know world events like this we apply them to our own lives and our own circumstances over here there's so much to be learned so um nothing additional i guess uh, to add but uh, Stephen and i thought we both would would cover that and just share a few thoughts on that to get us going um, and on to a subject that in many ways is equally um, horrific and, and uh, heavy, uh, but at least has a, a glimmer of, of hope and sunshine at the end, and that is the, uh, the events of Passion Week and Jesus' uh, trek to the cross and beyond. So what Stephen and I thought we would do is 
take each of the, uh, we broke it down into four events, four main stages uh, that uh, occurred of, of Jesus's journey through Holy Week and uh, ponder each of us in turn um, our uh, sources of inspiration and encouragement from that story, from that event, and then also those things that convict or challenge us uh, about that particular event. And uh, then a few other questions we'll engage after that, but um, we're going to start with the events of Palm Sunday. Um, and quickly, an, an overview for those who may not know, Jesus um, enters Jerusalem at the uh, end of about his third year of ministry, and it's uh, nearing the time of Passover, so folks are flocking to Jerusalem anyway, and Jesus comes in uh, via the, the Mount of Olives on one end of the city, and um, whether he initiates or, or, or buys in, invests in this, or whether it just happens because of the, the stir of uh, emotion and excitement amongst the people, but this uh, impromptu kind of parade and, and uh, huge almost like a, a king arriving into the city uh, to the, the praise of his people. Jesus receives this kind of reception on Palm Sunday. And so the stories that we read on that day uh, include the, the waving of palm branches and people laying down their cloaks before him. Uh, he travels through the city by means of a, a donkey that he had his disciples procure for him. And, um, and then uh, once arriving in the city, settles in and, and spends the week there in preparation for the Passover. So on Palm Sunday, uh, so many little tidbits of information to cover, but without uh, feeling like we have the ability to really cover it in, in an exhaustive way, we thought just sharing those things that jump out at us. So Stephen, um, do you want to cover either those uh, those things or what, what it is about Palm Sunday that inspires or encourages you or, or maybe those things that convict you, whichever direction you want to take. <clears throat> we can talk about the inspiring, encouraging things. Um, so I'm going to kind of um, look, I have the passage in front of me. Um, Paul, do you have the passage in front of you? I can. <laughs> what do you need to, who's the, are you looking to figure out who the main character is? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, it's Jesus. <laughs> no, I think uh, Luke 19 is the... Yeah, you can look at Luke 19. I have Matthew 21. Okay, so I'll, yeah, yeah I'll have the better um, one here, but that's all right. <laughs> No, but some of the things that are encouraging and inspiring are um, the passion of the people for a king. So when Jesus is um, coming to Jerusalem and he's, he's got the donkey ready and he's riding it, um, he's really fueling the, the desire of the people for a king. So um, even before Jesus showed up, there was um, talk of a Messiah. There was talk of um, someone coming to fulfill these prophecies and um, and then Jesus, when he does this act, you can just imagine the fervor and the excitement and the passion pulsing through the people. A matter of fact, um, here uh, in verse, so I'm in Matthew 21, um, verse 10, um, it says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And so in a way, Jesus had been ministering for almost three years, but this was almost his coming out party. You could say this was his, like, welcome to, like, the world thing. Uh, people had probably knew of, obviously knew of him, but this was really, like, the major event, the fireworks, the explosion, whatever you can think of, like, announcing your arrival. Um, and people were like, who is this? You know, coming in um, like he's, 
like he is and he is a king you know coming in like he owns the place because he does own the place right and, and that's and exactly that the way his entrance is and i think about it the same way his entrance is was the temple when he's turning over tables and stuff like who is this guy like acting like he owns the place and he did own the place <laughs> um so that that um coming in was just it's very inspirational because it's, you ask yourself like as is jesus um you know this can be inspirational and challenging um jesus the king of my life you know uh, with such an announcement and how he came into the city um will i be or am i the one who's you know laying down the palm branches and shouting hosanna son of david um but yeah i, I think that's just really encouraging it and, you know initially encouraging to have the people welcomed in christ yeah absolutely the the fanfare was um something to behold i'm sure is one of those oh, yeah. Uh, days you kind of wish you could be a, a fly on the, I guess there weren't any walls. Uh, Maybe a, mos- on a, a mosquito on the skin. or Mosquito something. on the skin of <laughs> of Jesus? Of, of the donkey that Jesus. The donkey, <laughs> yes, yes. So that you could take in the whole experience yeah. from that, yeah. that perspective. That would be swell. Right, um, you, have a, you have a drink there, a constant flowing drink, and you could just watch it go. Oh, yeah. jeez. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I, we should have stuck with the fly on the wall. Right, I'm sure yeah, there was a building right. nearby. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah, fly yeah. Could have been fly on the wall. wall of the building. Yeah. So we wish we could have been there some somehow, some way, right? Uh, but uh, I guess the the thing that jumped out at me, the most inspiring piece of this event, uh, was the fulfillment of prophecy. Um, yeah, I, I don't have the, the research in, in front of me to uh, lay this down with the impact that I would like to, but. Jesus, throughout his, his life, um, even before he was born, was, was fulfilling prophecies that were uh, uttered in, in the Old Testament. Zechariah 9 9. Is, that is, yeah, that's the primary one we right. point to on, on Palm Sunday. Uh, that, for, while we have it in front of us here, it reads uh, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem, which is exactly where he was. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt the foal of a donkey so jesus entered the city of jerusalem he does so riding on a colt riding on the foal of a donkey and uh the city's rejoicing so so many things just in those uh, in that single verse from zechariah are being fulfilled here and this is not unusual for jesus throughout his ministry but it, i think in in passion week and this is the uh, first event within that, um, the the prophecies are, are being fulfilled left and right, and um, to me that's uh, inspiring because uh, we see the big picture. We recognize that this these events are, are part of a larger plan that God had put into motion uh, centuries before this, even before the beginning of the world. Uh, he had he had initiated this and and had uh, plans for His Son to come and and play out uh, these actions and interactions and so this is just one piece of a larger whole of a a larger plan and so we know that god's plan is coming to fruition and and part of that ultimately uh, is our salvation the extension of grace to his people and this is just one step towards that and uh, so i absolutely see that on palm sunday Uh, in addition to i I, uh, jotted down from daniel 9 here a couple of verses that um, describe the timing of this. And uh, according to the commentary I looked up, this, this adds up uh, perfectly. 
but um, <laughs> I, I don't want to I don't want to vouch for that without having done more research on my own. But this is this is from Daniel chapter nine. Uh, just fascinating that this uh, prophetic um, uh, announcement could come so accurately uh, and be fulfilled so accurately. It says seventy sevens are decreed for your people. So this is, uh, once again, this is from Daniel, when uh, Daniel and the Israelites, many of them were, were exiled uh, in Babylon, and, and so there's this uh, prophecy being given about the length of time uh, until renewal will come. So 77s are decreed for your people in your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be put to death, and we'll have nothing. Uh, so prophecy always uh, is, is very uh, full of imagery and, and uh, often confusing references. And we're not going to delve any more deeply into this, but uh, just the, the beauty of how Palm Sunday is fulfilling the prophecy of the Old Testament um, in, in so many different ways and setting into motion the events of, of uh, Holy Week ultimately will fulfill the most important and greatest prophecy that God ever offered, that being the salvation of his people. So now turning the, the other side of the coin here, uh, what ways does this passage convict or, or challenge you, Stephen? Right. <clears throat> so I kind of just already hinted at it, uh, but this passage is challenging because you ask yourself, how is the kingship of Jesus affecting my life? And you, you typically hear um, when this passage is preached, you typically hear about how these this very crowd that is at this moment worshiping and celebrating Jesus was also the crowd that um, maybe not all of them, but there were probably some in this crowd who at a couple of days later were shouting crucify him. Um, so that's such a convicting thing, you know, to, to, um, to read a passage about celebration and then another passage about death. And, um, and you always have to ask yourself your question, that question, you know, how is the kingship of Jesus affecting my life, you know, how, how um, am I exhibiting, like, how am I surrendering to that, um, the call of God on my own life, um, and um, I think that's really convicting, because you see Jesus in really, in a really humble way, he's not coming as a king riding on a war horse, he's coming on a donkey, right, the um, coal of a donkey, so it, on a fall, so it's a young donkey, it's just, this is an incredible scene of humility and incredible scene of um, Jesus coming really to, to sacrifice himself and give it all away um, for the very people who are shouting for him. Um, and he, he's the king that they um, didn't know they needed, too, because they thought, well, this is going to be the king to conquer the world. But he was the king to sacrifice himself for the world. Um, so it was the king that they needed, even though it's the king they didn't know um, they were going to receive. So, uh, you know, I ask that question myself, how, how is Jesus' kingship affecting my daily life? Mm. Yeah, and, and my response here is really uh, going to piggyback on Stephen as well. I, I, I am, uh, at the very least, conflicted. I'll use the word conflicted when I encounter the Palm Sunday passage, and especially when we 
uh, participate in it with, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up, um, the, uh, the children of the church would parade through the, the aisles of, of the sanctuary, waving palm branches, and we would play uh, victory music and, um, you know, very celebratory in nature. And, and I think that, you know, this is, this is warranted. It's a good way to represent, remember the, the day, uh, because they were celebrating their king. And uh, there were hearts, I think, amongst the crowd that were pure and were doing it for the right reason. Um, but uh, the other side of that, as, as Stephen was describing, this is really step one, stage one in the, uh, in the process of making a mockery of Jesus's kingship. Uh, because if we remember where everything culminates with Jesus on the cross with a, a sign over his head saying, King of the Jews, um, you know, jamming a, a crown of thorns into his head, this purple robe that they throw on his back. They, they mock him. They, uh, you know, they jeer at him. They tell him, if you're the king, you know, come down from the cross and save yourself. They, they really, the, the underlying theme of, of the crucifixion for many of those in attendance was to, to make a mockery of Jesus's supposed kingship. And I think, uh, you know, Palm Sunday, to, to some extent, is the first step in that process, in that experience, is, uh, you know, welcoming Jesus into the city, expecting at the time, you know, maybe they didn't see it as making a mockery of it, um, but their expectations were that Jesus was going to be a totally different type of king. So they really weren't receiving Jesus. They were receiving what they imagined uh, Jesus to be or what they hoped Jesus would become. And so that really culminated in, in uh, you know, making a mockery of who Jesus was by the end of the week uh, because Jesus had let them down. He had disappointed them in, in all the ways they were hoping he would uh, serve them and, and uh, better their lives in a, in a worldly sense. So at the very least, I'm, I'm conflicted about the events of Palm Sunday and, and viewing it as a, a celebration. Jesus himself uh, was, was weeping. This is verse 41 from Luke 19. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he was, I think, looking even further ahead to the destruction of the city years later, um, but also the, the reality that, you know, the city would be destroyed because the people didn't ultimately receive him and, and accept him for who he was and the Savior that he intended to be. Uh, and that was going to be very evident even by the end of that week. So, uh, yeah, that's where I'm I'm. You know, I'm, I'm conflicted, but I'm also convicted uh, to make sure that when I look at Jesus, I'm, I'm seeing him as uh, the Savior that he came to be and not making, uh, making him out to be or trying to manipulate him into being something that he's not. So, uh, step two, Stephen. Yep. Uh, number two, where are you taking us? <clears throat> so yeah, the next passage we're looking at is the upper room. So we're moving Palm Sunday, and then we're going a couple days later, and we're in the upper room in the Last Supper um, with Jesus. And um, so we're going to be looking at this passage, how it's to inspire and encourage. Um, I think um, definitely when I look at this passage, I'm just completely amazed at Jesus here. Because um, it's, it's Jesus' ability to show love and support and support to the disciples, despite the fact um, the fact that he knew that one of them would flat out betray him, and the others would all desert him. It, it's just it's really mind boggling um, to think that Jesus, in this last moment, this last supper he'll have before his death, and, and imagine like not only. 
he knows. So imagine you put yourself in that situation and you're going to eat your last meal before your execution and you get a bunch of people together who you know are going to betray you and are going to are going to leave you the next morning. You know, like that, none of us would choose that, right? You know, it's, but Jesus' love and support um, for the disciples and, and his willingness to continue that, the friendship with them, even though he even though this is also interesting to think about, even though the level of commitment that they have for him is not as high as the level of commitment and love that he has for them. Um, so they, 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 they say they're going to stay with Jesus. You have Peter making the confession, like, I, I will never leave you. And, and, and they're really bold about it. Matter of fact, they're kind of like when Jesus says someone's going to betray me, they're all just dumbfounded. Like, Ooh, who, who would ever do that to you, Jesus? Right. Um, and but Jesus' love is much higher than what they even thought uh, how high their love thought how high they thought their love was for Jesus um so it's just an incredible um passage and and Jesus is still involves them in his last meal right so um for me um it's incredibly inspirational as in a sense Jesus is um showing um the love of God and I also think in this moment too this is where the love of god is beyond any love that we can think of in this world i, I think it's too often we don't think about this but god's love is truly divine there's there's a love of this world but god's love is a step above like it, it's it's beyond the love it's beyond the love that we can give to each other it's beyond the love that we see in the world and our world's all about love. I mean, there's so many songs. What is love? And every all these love songs. Love songs rule the radio, right? It's always someone singing their love for someone else. But that love pales in comparison to the divine love of God, which none of us can reach unless we have the Spirit of God within us. Um, and, and in this passage, we see that that divine love at, at work in its fullest. So, yeah, pretty incredible. Yeah, uh once again, I think in a similar vein as, as Stephen described, what excites me and, and inspires me about the upper room and the Last Supper is that the intimacy that Jesus shares with his disciples. And even as, as Stephen was talking, you know, a new image came to mind for me. That, uh, almost imagine the disciples having been on this epic three-year spiritual retreat right? <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe you've never been on a spiritual <laughs> retreat before, but right. we, we can always uh, almost have a sense of what the agenda is going to be and the, and the schedule is going to be when we arrive that, you know, it's going to be a get to know you time. And then you're going to, you know, uh, hang out and play some games maybe and, and go out and do some things together, serve together. You're going to uh, study together, you learn together, have some discussion time. And then you know, without a doubt, that it's always going to culminate in this in this this powerful, um, you know, intimate experience at the end where everybody comes together. And usually, it's a, maybe the celebration of communion or or a powerful laying out of hands and commissioning or um, something that pulls it all together in this in this really dynamic, powerful way. And I think that's what the disciples are experiencing here in the upper room. Jesus is hosting this. Uh, <laughs> This um, last step of their their spiritual retreat, all the while he's preparing himself for his own horrific death and, and execution. So, um, it, you know, makes Jesus all the more impressive that he's able to play this role in their lives and in their ministry to equip them in this very important, uh, meaningful way here at, at, in his final hours 
uh, but it just demonstrates that really, you know, Jesus gave and gave and gave to, to the end um, and to the nth degree. But uh, yeah, it's, it's really the intimacy that the disciples experience. Um, and, and when throughout their ministry do they really experience the, the power of Jesus's love to the extent that they do in, in this time that they spend with him in the kind of the isolated, you know, protected, the crowds aren't busting in. Jesus isn't trying to heal a bunch of people. Uh, they're not trying to feed a bunch of people. It's just he and his disciples in this, this sacred time and space together. And Jesus is, is enacting, um, really, uh, the, like his, his concluding, his driving home points of loving one another, uh, loving God, and uh, living to, to serve those around you. So to me, just the atmosphere and the, the whole feel of it for, for the disciples uh, inspires me that this is, this is God's intent for us. Uh, that we would experience this in our lives and especially uh, in our, our communities uh, amongst one another. Um, and then let's, uh, let's flip the script here again. And what about uh, Monday, Thursday and the, the experience in the upper room challenges or convicts you? Right. And uh, again, this kind of hints back at what I have just said, but I think it's challenging because we too often... I feel like too often when we read the scriptures, we um, tend to see ourselves, we don't see ourselves as perfect, but we tend to read the scriptures through the eyes of Jesus. Um, And I think the scriptures really have its, um, especially the gospels, have its fullest impact when we read um, the gospels through the eyes of the disciples. Um, And and when I think of it from that perspective, um, it's really challenging because when we think of ourselves as, as the disciples, we have to ask ourselves, will we stick with Jesus or we, or will we abandon him when we are pressed? Um, and you think, um, many of us, many of us, I, w- I would think can, <laughs> will be like Peter, you know, it's, um, as, as we sit in this room, as record or as, as you're in service or whatever, you're like, oh yes, I will completely stay with Jesus and I, nothing could ever separate. And, and, and we, sing the songs and we're bold and and but then when um when the testing or temptation comes you know in in life um when we're pressed um against the wall or when when we're in the same situation everything goes back to the garden when i think about it when adam and eve are there and the serpent is saying hey take this fruit will we stand um with christ will we say no i i believe what christ has to offer i believe the words of god I won't listen to the tempting of, of the serpent or I, I won't choose to abandon my savior. Right. And, and really, we, to be honest, as scary as it sounds is we, we don't know that answer sometimes until we're in that situation. Um, but what we can do is that we can prep ourselves and prepare ourselves for um, situations of testing and tempting um, so that we are ready to stand with our savior um, and willing to accept the persecution and, and the sacrifice and and the pain that comes with it. you know it, it, the Christian faith in in no way promises um, the matter of fact Jesus speaks of <laughs> of his followers facing persecution and, and um, suffering and death you know and in no way does Jesus say everything is going to be um, peachy keen and perfect um, so but that's all to say that will we, when we're pressed, when we're backs are against the wall, or, or when we see an opportunity that we feel like we need to take, even though we know it's not aligned with 
um, the word of God, how will we answer that call? And, um, you know, it can be a very scary thing to think about, but, um, but I think it is something that we should always prep and, and prepare for, um, being with the Lord. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, maybe in this passage, uh, easier than anywhere else in scripture to try and put ourselves in the shoes of the, the disciples. Right. Um, because it's, it's natural to want to be there, want to have this experience that they're having. And, and uh, you know, everything Jesus, or Jesus, I just called you Jesus. Everything <laughs> Stephen just described. I'm really sorry, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sorry to you, Stephen, too. But yeah, uh, I didn't mean to belittle you like that, Jesus. Oh, yeah. uh, so, <laughs> so everything Stephen was describing about the, you know, just the, the overwhelming uh, task and, and expectations on the, on the disciples and, and their uh, struggle to follow through on what's expected of them or, or to um, play the hero and not the villain or the betrayer in the story. I mean, that rings true for me as well. Um, but as, especially for me, it's just the, 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 the height of the bar that Jesus sets here when it comes to uh, loving one another to me, that is the most uh, convicting and uh, challenging aspect of this story is, uh, you know, so many times throughout Scripture, we watch Jesus do something and we're like, Jesus, you, you know, it's really cool that you're, you're into this, you're doing this, but you really, really don't expect me to do this, right? To follow you uh, to this extent or to mimic what, what you're doing. And here is, is one of those, maybe to the nth degree, that Jesus would kneel down and wash the feet um, of the disciples and particularly those who were about to uh, deny him and uh, the one who was about to betray him and do so not out of spite but but still out of out of purity and, and love is just astounding to me uh, but then Jesus turns to us and, and says uh, that we need to do as, as he has done and to wash each other's feet and metaphorically whatever that means for us nowadays and to me, that that is incredibly challenging um, because human relationships are difficult. And there's a lot of people in this world that I, I uh, would prefer not to have to be expected to wash their feet or humble myself or, or place them and their needs before me. And just a, a constant source of, of uh, conviction for me. So I think it's just the, the extent to which Jesus sets that bar so high uh, in this story is what challenges me the most. And then uh, we, we are uh, arriving at the cross. So we, we kind of breeze through here the Jesus' arrest and, and time in the Garden of Gethsemane, his arrest and, and trial. And then uh, we move to the events of Good Friday and particularly Jesus' uh, crucifixion. And we ask these same questions. So, uh, Stephen, how does the story of the, the crucifixion inspire or encourage you? Right. Um, even before I start, I feel like it's a, it's a, like it's a disservice to speak about, I mean, any of this, all of this, but especially Good Friday and the cross to only speak about it for, you know, five, 10 minutes. Cause it's such a, it's a universal altering event. I'm an event that changed the course of our universe, really. I mean, it's. You could say this is the linchpin of everything, um, and to just spend ten minutes on it is to do a disservice. But uh, I'll try my best. It's I think it's inspiration because obviously I'm going back to this is 
um, kind of going back to what I said about the upper room, but this passage is inspiring because we see the lengths that Jesus is willing to go um, to show his love for us, right? So um, here on the cross, and one of the words um, Jesus says, um, as a matter of fact, we're doing um, a Lenten Bible study, right, with the seven um, seven words of Christ, I think. Yeah. I believe that. Yeah. So um, one of the uh, one of the most moving things to think about what Jesus says on the cross. I mean, everything he says is moving. But when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, and uh, thinking of those words that Jesus is, in, in, in a way, is saying those words um, for us, right? And, and God is is forsaking Christ because of us, right? So it's these these are words that we never have to utter because Jesus uttered them for us. Um, he from his lips he cried out, um, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" And such when, when you delve into that and and think deeply of of what is transpiring at that moment, um, you're just utterly dumbfounded, right? You're just utterly speechless. Um, um, when you weigh the gravity of, of what is taking place at the, the Trinity, and, and in a sense, um, is kind of is being ripped, um, is, is being ripped apart. As you see the Father and the Son, so the Father turns his back on the Son. It's just, um, it, you could spend, like I said, it, it just feels like it's doing it injustice to spend just 10 minutes or the five minutes that we talk on it, um, because you can, um, just from that, statement you can spend hours and hours and hours of meditation and um, real deep thought on um, the meaning of what is taking place Um, and then you think of what Jesus says even on the cross when when they're nailing him and he says father forgive them for they do not know what they do and um, in a way again that statement is for the soldiers but also (laughs) that statement um, is, is for us as individuals because we, we think of all the times in our lives when we, when we sin or we fall short of what God is calling us to and you can just hear the words of Jesus saying even as I speak about it, sorry I get emotional but I mean, Jesus saying forgive them for they do not know what they do mm-hmm. um, those words still echo um, through space and time um, so yeah it's just an event that um, is again can't be <laughs> It can't be uh, in this short time. Um, you just can't fulfill just the magnitude of it all. So, mm. yeah, so that's Jesus' um, love is very inspirational. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, every, I think everything we do right now feels like we're doing a disservice to, <laughs> <laughs> right. so, to, to answer the question, how does the cross inspire you? <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's hard not to, to um, see that as almost comical how. Yeah. Uh, unable we are to really express this and, and cover it. But um, the, the few tidbits in particular that I would hone in on, one is is this, uh, and, and prepping for a sermon for upcoming Sundays helped with this dramatically, is seeing that uh, even as Jesus is enacting God's uh, plan that has been in place since the beginning of time to Uh, here in this moment, redeem all of humankind by giving his life, even as he's doing this and and has the weight of our sins upon his shoulders and and is going through this horrific experience on our behalf, all of humanity's behalf. We even have these 
these uh, little incidents and encounters and exchanges that he has with individuals during the experience in, in which he's still uh, ministering to and extending forgiveness and, and ultimately salvation to individuals, even at the same time as he does it for all of humanity. So uh, for one, going back to Jesus's words upon the cross that he would he would plead for the forgiveness of those who had executed him, who had placed him on the cross, uh, even as he, even as they're mocking him and uh, de denying his his kingship. You know, he is he is extending them uh, grace and the opportunity to uh, to have salvation, receive eternal life, and uh, they are in the process of killing him, taking away his earthly life, and he is pleading. For their forgiveness um, because he he sees in their hearts uh, that they are not fully aware of, of what they're doing and sees uh, the, what he sees in all of us the potential to uh, to work out of our sin and, and become something better so that blows me in away and, and also his uh, in a similar vein his interaction with the the criminal on the cross that Jesus would extend uh, forgiveness and salvation to him um, and, and that uh, that encounter would represent, you know, the first of really of all people to um, react to the cross, the sacrifice of, uh, on the cross and benefit from the cross when Jesus turns to him and says, uh, today you'll be with me in paradise because he extends the gift of salvation to, of all people who are present in that moment, the criminal who is being executed uh, to his side. Um, so it inspires me, you know, that this is, this is the love of God. This is the extent to which he loves us and, and desires to extend our, his grace to, to us. Is that, um, this, is, this is how it would play out, that, that Jesus would be capable of doing all of this, yet at the same time vividly portraying these individual interactions uh, that would all the, the more uh, further just inspire us and challenge us and, and uh, open our eyes to what's really going on here. So uh, to me, that's empowering, that's inspiring, and and then finally, uh, the, the first thing that happens when Jesus breathes his last is that the curtain of the temple uh, is, is torn in two. And this is the curtain that would separate, uh, my understanding is separate the holy place from the most holy place. So going all the way back to the, the tabernacle and, and the, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. And there was this space called the most holy place where God was believed to have resided. Nobody was allowed in there because it was too dangerous because he's too holy. And this curtain separated uh, that space from the space outside that was still scary and holy, but at least they could, they could uh, uh, venture in occasionally into that area um, if they were very careful about um, their attitude in doing so. But the cross accomplished the tearing, the destruction of this curtain that separated uh, God's people from his, his dwelling place. And the, the symbolism behind that to me is absolutely beautiful and astounding all at once. And the fact that, you know, it specifies the curtain was torn from top to bottom. It's, I can almost imagine God's hands reaching down from above and tearing it from top to bottom to uh, reopen this, uh, this access uh, of humanity to God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So to me, that's a, a powerful and an inspiring uh, symbol of what happens as soon as Jesus uh, breathes his last. Yeah. And then uh, where do we go next? What, what, 
convicts you and challenges yeah. you. <laughs> well, uh, geez. Yeah, I know. We kind of already covered it. Yeah. Um, we kind of both covered it. But yeah, it's just the fact that it's our sins that put him on the cross, right? It's it's our sins that, um, in a way, is what brought him to earth, um, mm-hmm. brought Christ to earth and, and to be a baby. And it's just... Uh, this has just been just this podcast too. Just thinking about all of this stuff has been really, um, really good to think about because it's just um, you see the lengths that Jesus went um, in order to save us. And and so often when we look at the religions of the world, it's what we can do for the gods. And but in Christianity, it's what God did for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's God came down for us. God came a baby for us. God um, taught us. God bled for us God did. he sacrificed himself for us he he did all these things as as and and um just literally is is willing us um to come to him he, he's calling out to all of us it's, it's his grace his mercy his forgiveness his love all of that is calling us to himself because he loves us um and 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 of course it's convicting and challenging because it's like um, not only did my sins put him there on the cross, but it, it's this is perhaps <laughs> one of the hardest things about the Christian faith, which um, is that when you come to Christ and Christ is your Savior, and and you have that experience of of that experience of salvation and the joy and 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 that laying the burden being lifted off, and and you experiencing the love of Christ in, in one of the fullest forms, but then. Um, as you live life, um, you still walk with with the challenges of sin and and the constant daily reminder that um, that sin is still a reality in your life, a reality in the world, a reality in your family, a reality in your neighbors and friends, and and it's just can be very disheartening and hard to see past until you look at the cross and say, well, the sins have been dealt with. And even though we don't see the world the way it's meant to be yet, it, it will be someday um, because we have the cross as that that bookmark, that place marker to look back to um, when things look so bleak. Um, but yeah, so it's just convicting and challenging on how do I live my life and, um, you know. Response, yeah, and because and, in one breath we can say, oh, the, the cross changed everything. Uh, it rescued humanity. It changed the course of history, and that is absolutely true. Right. Uh, but in the very next breath, we can acknowledge, oh, but wait, a lot of people right. don't know it, <laughs> right, right? And very few, if any, people truly live uh, like it and right. live out that reality. So, right. you, I think you have to you have to both celebrate it and see it for the, the mm-hmm. powerful event that it was and, and life altering event that it was but also acknowledge uh in, in humility and and anguish how few people um actually right. live truly the, the response that is uh justified on the other side so and, and yeah and i guess to me that's really the the underlying theme of um what convicts me too is just my my failure <laughs> to yeah. to appreciate and respond appropriately to the cross and and i i I don't feel that any more vividly than I do when I place myself in the in the shoes of different characters in the story of the crucifixion, and and to me that's one of the most convicting experiences is to to imagine where am I, who am I, what am I doing, and and uh, you know I can see I can see elements of myself 
in Peter's response to the cross. I can, I can even see it in Judas's um, role that he plays. I can see it in Barabbas, uh, the criminal that is set free so that Jesus would take his place upon the cross. I can see it in, in Pilate in that, you know, Pilate, um, I think, sensed that Jesus was, in, was innocent, maybe even sensed that Jesus was more than uh, just a, a simple human being, that there was something unique and, and special about him, uh, but he didn't have the courage to, to act on it. He, he didn't, um, you know, he, he chose at the end of the day to wash his hands of it uh, because he was too afraid to stand up for what he was feeling, maybe experiencing internally. So uh, to me, yeah, it's incredibly convicting to imagine all these different characters and, and know that uh, my response would have been a combination of all of them, but probably nothing terribly heroic or in, inspiring. And uh, that's still my response. You know, in, in reality, that is. <laughs> that's how I respond every day because the, the cross is still a reality that we're called to respond to in our daily lives. And, and so my response is still a uh, a mesh of all of those uh, responses and characteristics of how people in in the uh, present moment responded when Jesus was initially placed on the cross. All right. So, all right, last uh, last event here, um, which is the good news of Easter. Right? <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, looking at Easter, it's again, it's I repeat the same words I said about Good Friday. You can't. Uh, Easter is, to sum it up in 10 minutes, is just not doing it justice, but we'll try. Um, So it's encouraging. Easter is absolutely encouraging and inspiring because you see um, that there is life after death. There, So I I tell the students as I'm teaching, like, in Christianity, we do have evidence for life after death because of Jesus. You know, we we don't have to enter into death, like, wondering, oh, is there really life? Like, Jesus... Is, is proof, a fact, um, if you believe in the resurrection, that there is life after death, because Jesus literally did it. Um, so that's that's encouraging and inspiration, uh, inspiring as well. Um, and there awaits us a life that is truly life, um, a life to the fullest. Again, and I talked about um, the reality of sin in our lives and the reality of sin in our world, and just thinking about Ukraine and, and just... Um, that just, it's incredibly, incredibly sad as I listen to these news reports over and over again of people dying and suffering and, and, and you ask like, oh, for what, you know, for what? And this isn't going to be the last war. There's going to be wars on top of wars on top of wars on top of wars and refugees and, and kids being killed and mothers being separated and fathers being separated from their families to fight. And you're like, this, this cannot be the world we want to live in forever. You know, this, this cannot be the world that I want to call home forever. There, there's got to be more. And, and when you look at the resurrection and what awaits us, the life that awaits us, that is truly life to the fullest, um, and the freedom from sin and, and um, that awaits in a world that, um, a world that's not going to be like <laughs> um, little babies on harps and, and we're just in a choir. It's going to be a world of culture and a world of celebration, a world of life, a world of discovery, a world of um, exploration, a world of learning. Um, it's going to be just phenomenal. It's going to be everything our world was meant to be, but never it will never reach its potential. It's going to be a humanity that is truly unified um, and culture that is truly um, full of love and and um, we won't have the prejudice and the racism and, and the hate that we see today. Um, and also we'll be able to finally see Jesus face to face, right? That's, 
to, to uh, we haven't had the opportunity that the disciples had in this moment to see Jesus in, in, in the ministry and, um, and that we believe in Jesus even though we haven't seen him. We, we're not lucky enough. Uh, I'm thinking of the passage of Thomas. We're not lucky enough to see the scars of Jesus, to feel them and to feel the scars in his side. And, um, and I believe see, Jesus says, um, verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 29 in John, Jesus says, because you have seen me, you believed, talking to Thomas, he says, blessed, <laughs> and even as I read this, I get emotional, blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. Um, and you think we haven't seen Jesus face to face, but yet we're the ones who um, believe in this. So, yeah. Incredibly encouraging and inspirational, that's for sure. So it's at one point, did you have an image of heaven that it would be nothing but little babies <laughs> on, on harps? No, I just, I just feel like I always think of people, when people think of heaven, they just don't have a very robust idea. It's just like, yeah. they're kind of like, well, what are we going to do? Like, what do you mean what are we going to do? Like, it's going to be, we're going to be able to do everything, you know, so. Because um, I always think of the Middle Ages, like, the, the images that we get of <laughs> right. the Middle Ages. kind I of think that was a thing. Jesus. I think Little Mary's right. playing harps was the yeah, thing. I do feel like I've seen paintings of that. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I don't think, well, that could happen in heaven if that's, <laughs> if that's <laughs> your yeah. fancy, maybe. Right, right. God. Um, so, you know, what, what is inspiring about Easter Sunday and the resurrection? What, what isn't inspiring? But um, to me... You know, it's it's stepping back and take, taking in the, the big picture. And uh, I guess maybe beginning with the setting of this whole event in, in this garden. We hear about the garden tomb and right. and the theme of, of gardens throughout right. Scripture. And, right. uh, even, you know, right. I, I learned this past week in, in my own study that um, the word paradise is actually a, um, a Persian word that hmm. uh, originates from a word that means garden. Wow. So every time we hear the word paradise, you'll be with me in paradise, or, or the Garden of mm-hmm. Eden was a paradise. It's, it truly was a, a garden, and, and I think anytime you see a garden in Scripture, it, it represents the union between God and His people, and uh, at least the intent, if not the reality, that um, there would be a, a relationship of total trust and and uh, unity and tranquility and and uh, God and his people are together with, with uh, sin being removed as a barrier between. And so this is how scripture begins. This is how scripture uh, ends as we, as we ponder the future uh, upon Jesus' return, that the paradise will be just that, um, you know, this beautiful uh, togetherness between God and his people. And this is what's represented in the resurrection, that the, this is really what's occurred, is that Jesus has released us from bondage of sin and and we have at least here in the middle of the bible a promise uh, that this is what the future holds that jesus's resurrection occurs in this garden he emerges out they they think he's the gardener because they they don't recognize him Mm -hmm. um and to me you know not just the the physical beauty of the setting of you know imagining on easter morning the birds chirping and the flowers and the sun rising and um, but what all of that represents is this garden, this notion of paradise with God in, in perfect union uh, to me is beautiful. And then the other little tidbit on Easter uh, Sunday when Jesus emerges from the tomb and they, they venture in, they find the cloth that had been wrapped around his head. This is just something I, I read a few years back and 
Um, hopefully, I'm not making more out of it uh, than than it is. You always ask that, you know, if you're if you're trying to connect dots that don't belong connected. But uh, Jesus apparently folded up that head cloth and uh, left it there on the stone as he left the tomb. And the tradition amongst uh, Jews in that time was that uh, if you were the master of the house um, and you were sitting down for dinner with your your family and you got up in the middle of dinner, um, you could indicate to the servants, to those who were providing the meal or, or in charge of cleaning it up, whether you were planning on coming back to finish your meal or whether you were done and it could be cleaned up. Um, by whether you folded your uh, napkin, essentially, or not. Uh, so if you were planning on returning to finish uh, what you had started, essentially, you would fold up your napkin and you would leave it there on the table as a, as a symbol that that was the case. And this is uh, the suggestion that Jesus folded up the, the headpiece and left it there on the slab in the uh, empty tomb because... He was indicating that he was going to return. And then once again, that this garden experience uh, that was occurring outside the tomb um, was going to play out into fruition. And ultimately, we would all, uh, upon his return, if we've accepted him and embraced him, we would have the, the, uh, the hope of paradise for all eternity, being together with God forever. So uh, to me, that is incredibly inspiring. And uh, on the other hand, convicting, challenging about the resurrection. Um, I'll just throw out mine real quick and then let Stephen wrap her up. But uh, for me, it's, it's going back to put myself in the, the position of the, the disciples. It's great that they, they uh, experience the empty tomb and that uh, they're excited about it. But to me, they're just so doggone slow and hesitant about like reacting to it and, and really embracing it and like, you know, what else does Jesus have to do? He spent three years working miracles, you know, pouring love into you left and right. And then he hangs on a cross and dies in your place. And then three days later, he comes back from the dead um, and and emerges from the tomb. And you go and, and you see this and, and you see this reality, yet there's still, still on the other side of all of this, this sense of, hesitation and doubt and um, just uh, fear that the disciples are displaying. And, and I know without a doubt that uh, I would probably be the same way, um, but I can't help but, but be convicted by, you know, their, their actions and, and that reality that, that um, you know, why, why, what else does God need to do to, to get us to uh, connect some dots and, and um, you know, get up and, and do what he's called us to do and be who he's called us to be? Um, and what more what more can he do? So the, the reaction of the disciples, even though it, it's uh, uplifting, it also is, in a sense, disappointing and, and frustrating. And I know uh, all the more because I would be prone to the same reaction, and I am prone to the same reaction every day. This, this reality is still with us. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, so every day I should be living with that reality intact and, and responding to it and everything I do and say. And I, I know that uh, that is anything but true. So uh, to me, that continues to be a, a source of conviction each and every day. Right. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> here to wrap up, I think, um, for me, the challenge is, um, is to live an everlasting life here and now. So 
what I mean by that is that so often we think of um, the Christian faith can um, can be seen as a get out of hell free card, and it's like, well, I've accepted Jesus, and now I get to just kind of do whatever, or you know, I'll try to live for Jesus, but you, we have this view of eternity really beginning when after we die, um, but in reality, Scripture speaks of eternity starting the moment that we do believe. Um, and we and we live out that e, that eternal truth, um, and and I believe that um, we, that we live we don't live to die, but we live the for the life that is to come, right? We the life that we live now, we live inspired by the life that is to come um, after the grave. We don't just live to die; we we live to spread life. Um, and matter of fact, I feel like every time Jesus did a miracle. Um, and the gospels, what uh, the healings and the casting out of demons and all of those things, he was pointing to the world that is to come. He was he was visi- visibly pointing out the faults in our world, and then at the same time, he was visibly pointing out this is the world that's to come. Um, the the casting out of demons. There will be no more evil and demons in the world to come. Um, there'll be no more um, uh, shriveled hands and and leprosy. That that's not the world that is to come. Uh, or you think of the those who had leprosy were separated from the community, and then Jesus brought them back, and he said this, um, that there's a world that is to come where we no longer separate um, those outside of the community. And all those things that Jesus is doing are signposts um, to a world that he is initiating, that he is bringing to fruition. And in order for that world to come about, he had to die um, and, and be resurrected on the third day. Um, but all the things that he did was to bring life. So I feel like the challenge for us is that how do we live our lives in order to bring life um, to those around us? Are, are we showing those around us the world um, that is to come? Are we are we spreading that fragrance of life um, as Jesus did as he lived? Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the challenge that we ask ourselves. The fragrance of life. Fragrance huh? of life. There you I, go. You spread um, <laughs> lots of fragrances. Maybe we should do a we'll do a Christian cologne company or something. Yes, yeah. this the is what fragrance, life smells yes. like. Or this is what Jesus smells yeah. like. <laughs> yes. I think people would this buy it. The fragrance of life spray. I don't know what kind of different spray. The, uh, the Jesus coming to on on a donkey spray. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Jesus coming from the empty tombs. Yeah, the yeah the empty tombs, right? The, yeah. Jesus as a baby spray. Right. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, the, that's funny. Wow. Jesus as a baby spray. Yeah, we can make some real money off of that. You yeah, know? I mean, who wouldn't want to smell like Jesus? Yeah, right. Yeah. And then we could spread it out, like, to maybe involve other people, Mary, the disciples. You know? <laughs> smell like John the Baptist. Yeah, smell like John the Baptist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, thank you all for listening. Um, I hope we uh, hope that this podcast was um, inspirational and encouraging to you, but also conv- uh, convicting and challenging. And as we head into this, as not head into, as we are in the Lenten season, we um, hopefully that you're taking this time um, to just prepare your heart and your mind for the Lord as we get close to Good Friday or Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and celebrating Easter. And um, and this is really. Um, the pinnacle of, of uh, the church's mission and, and the pinnacle of, of Christ and his resurrection uh, that is to come soon. So uh, thank you all for listening, and we'll be back with another podcast soon.